0: Tonight is Wednesday, it is uh, July 22nd, 2020, and let's begin our worship service with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for those who have joined our study. We pray that we will be the kind of worshipers that you seek, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And we pray for wisdom as we approach this subject today. Asking for the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so, as you know, we have been studying in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, which is, I don't know if if we're going to do justice to it, but I'm going to do my best to at least try to tell you what I think it means. So uh, the verse says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So we're, not that we're going to finish it, but the thought is our inheritance. So if the emphasis from verse 15 uh, on, or even before that actually, was about um, sonship and what it means to be a son. In and, and verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So this is something that God is trying to communicate to us with no uncertainty here. No doubt, no ambivalence. We're sons. And then he continues to make applications to it. I hope he didn't leave us behind, where we're still thinking about what is a son. He's already gone to verse 17 to make applications on what it means to be a son. What are the implications? So now if we are children, and this is his logical debater's technique, then, we are heirs, heirs of God. So, if you're an heir, you stand to receive an inheritance. That's what it means. And uh, so, we needed to study inheritance. Last time we talked about Israel, and we talked how a lot about how what their inheritance was, and it's focused on the land, and it was more like a land grant. We we. Not going to go through those scriptures again, but what we want to say is that Israel's inheritance is focused on the earth. And I would even say that when the universe is recreated, destroyed, and recreated again, and there's the new earth, that Israel will still occupy the land. They will still have the promise of land as their inheritance. It's a very special thing. It's not only land, but it's power. Because, as I mentioned last time, in an agricultural society, land is wealth. That's what that means. So, Israel not only has uh, land, but wealth. They're blessed of God and ways that uh, speak.
1: Excuse of me, wealth. Doug? Yes. Um, a couple of words here and there are dropping out. Are they? It's just not clear. It's
0: just not clear. Yeah. Resuming. So what we spoke about last time was inheritance, and that's what we want to key in on. What is our inheritance? And as we said, Israel's inheritance is related to wealth, and that speaks of in terms of the land that is granted to them. And just to note, there are no... New Testament passages about our inheritance being related to any land but we do have great wealth associated with our inheritance unsearchable riches glorious riches uh, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are mentioned in terms of our inheritance never does it speak of anything that Israel had and it couldn't right because if that's part of the mystery then in the Old Testament, it would not be found. So we don't find any reference to that. So there's a couple things to think about. Israel has one purpose of God. We have another. And, the, and God's eternal purpose is related to the church, which is to bring many sons into glory and to express the manifold wisdom of God, which... Uh, was not known in previous ages it was hid in God so with all that said we want to focus on what is the hope so we went to Ephesians to talk about it from this standpoint because Ephesians says Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 and 18 is where we were I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. So this is it right here, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in God's, in his holy people. So there's more to it, but here it is, this part, uh, Paul is praying that these Ephesians will get to know what is the hope of their calling. And Now we know hope means absolute confidence right? but if you don't know what that is then you can't uh, participate. You don't have the hope of your calling. You first have to learn what it is uh, then you have to believe that that is the hope and then as you grow it becomes the, your hope. So hope means is we don't have it yet. It's, it's, not, it's something that is still future. Uh, even even if you get what he's saying in one eighteen, you still know that hope is yet future because it says hope right is part of it's, it's it's a future expectation of what God's going to do for you. So we know. We need to know what it is, and it needs to be stated in clear enough terms so that you uh, can relate to it. You can at least learn it, study it, focus on it, you know, meditate on it so that it becomes a part of who you are. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through some things here that talk about the hope. And I've got like 10 areas that I want to focus on. I know you're probably saying 10 Okay, so let's talk about it. The first one is, uh, these are just some things to consider, uh, to know. We will not have the fullness until we receive our resurrection bodies. So we, whatever we're going to get in this lifetime, while on the battlefield, we will not get until we the fullness of all that God has planned to give us until we get our resurrection bodies. So this not only completes uh, that we, you know, will have a new body, just getting a resurrection body has, we're going to get a new body. These old bodies are not going to endure throughout eternity. We need a new body, one that is fit for the eternal state. So yes, we're going to, yeah, we'll get a new body, but also... It also completes what we might call adoption to sonship. If you look at uh, Romans 8.23, here are some verses here for us that are just in the same chapter. So 8.23 says, not only so, but we but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, the first fruits of the Spirit uh, sounds like Pentecost, but it's not Pentecost. It's a play on words. To, because that's what they did at Pentecost. They brought the first fruits right, of their, of their uh, produce. But here, Paul uses that to say, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit came at Pentecost. So then he says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. So we, whatever we have in terms of the adoption to sonship, it is uh, positional. Yes, and it is also maybe a small portion of, of sonship, and that is what we might call the first fruits. If we have the first fruits, that's something. Right? It's not, uh, we don't want to say the first fruits is nothing, it is something, it's tangible. So if we have that, Paul is saying, but what does that do? It makes us groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. That will be the fullness of what that sonship is. So we're we're waiting patient patiently for it. And what when is that going to happen? And or what is it? It's the redemption of our bodies. When is it? It's the rapture. So when we get to the rapture, yeah we're gonna get new resurrection bodies, but we're also going to get the fullness of our adoption to sonship. So That's an important point for you to note. I mean, that's key. So that also ties into Ephesians uh, 1. We've studied this in the past, One thirteen and 14. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Now, if he just left it right there, that would be one thing. But then verse 14 comes. Who is a deposit? So here it is. A deposit is like a a small portion of which represents the whole of what we're going to get. Very similar to what we just spoke of in terms of first fruits. So we can now have this deposit... And it guarantees our inheritance. So, what is the deposit related to? Our sonship. Because when it talks about inheritance, we're heirs, right? And if we're children, then we're heirs. And then if we're heirs, we're heirs of God. So, it guarantees our inheritance until, right? And until represents during time, like right now. Because the redemption of those who are God's possession is. Just like we read in Romans 8.23, the redemption of our body. When we get our resurrection body, no more battlefield for us. We're done. Right? We have everything God planned to give us in, in its entirety. So the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And that says that is God's plan. And God's plan is coming to fruition and he ought to receive praise for that he should receive glory because his plan to bring many sons into glory is complete so so let's continue this thought how important this is currently we have the first fruits as we said of the spirit so we so we eagerly wait we're waiting for that next bit so whatever we have now is not the full but we, we just have a small portion of it. And we, we spoke about what that is and how that relates to Romans 8, uh, 16, where it says, the Spirit, or 15, where it says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So we spoke about that. Let's go on to point two. Our passage says that we can know, and there is no limitation there. So So, what else? is this all about Well, when it talks about our inheritance we can we can't experience it all that's what we know already but we just want to make sure uh, because if there was an opportunity to experience our full inheritance then that would be grand and we should pursue that but there is a limitation we can know the fullness of what it is but it doesn't mean that we can experience the fullness of what it is yet. So knowing and experiencing, right? Knowing right now, you, you're, God has not held anything back from you to know these things. We're going to look at a couple scriptures just to make sure we understand that. So one is Ephesians 3, 8 and 9. Let's look at that. Ephesians 3. Eight and 9 and you could actually include 10 and 11 too but so 8 and 9 says although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people of all the Lord's people this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ so he's preaching it to the Gentiles in other words he's communicating it to the Gentiles and then in verse 9 and to make plain to everyone and here it is, he's making it plain uh, the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. so he's he's making it known so we can this if Paul is objective if Paul's objective is to do this and he's an apostle, it, it should be our objective as well. As those who are under his authority. And under God's authority. Because that's his plan. That's what that's what he's doing right now. So what should we be doing on the ground? We should be making it plain to everyone. Just like the Apostle Paul. And then what does it say in verse 10? His intent was that now through the church. That's us. By the way. The manifold wisdom of God. What? Should be made known. Right? And this is not just to. Uh, human beings, gen- Jews and Gentiles who are on the earth, but also to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. They are going to know. So we got to know so that they can know from us, right? They can see this whole thing expand or uh, manifest through us. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that verse ties it all together to, to talk about the importance Of this plan over all other plans uh, that you might have thought that were important by reading the Old Testament everything you've read in in past this supersedes it this says this is the ultimate purpose of God in all things this says it completely so then also you want to move to uh, later on verses 17 through 19 so verse 17 Says, now you could go to verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and in your inner being. Now, when he says this glorious riches, he's talking about his, he's going to be you're going to be enriched with his self, himself, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you. Being rooted and established in love. That we don't have to go and talk about what love is anymore. Because we know what love is now. It's that motivation that we, we we have. And guess what? That same motivation existed in eternity past. When it was just the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the love that they had was the love for this, this plan. That the Father had. That he was going to execute. So the next thought was. After they finished that Christ created all things. And there was not one thing made that has not been made by him. And verse 18, that we may have power together with all the Lord's people. And here it is. These words, two words right here, tells us what we have power to do. And that is to grasp. And then how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now this these dimensions are the dimensions of the church, right? The God's plan, right? The mystery, what he is ultimately revealed to all, not only Jews, not only Gentiles, but angels to grasp. But we have the ability to grasp. That's what all that power and all that indwelling Christ may be in your heart and all that that's rooted and grounded in love lead to, to grasp. What is it we're going to grasp? The dimensions of his eternal purpose, his plan. And verse 19, and to know this love. So not only do we grasp it, but the love that we have surpasses knowledge. In other words, eyes have not seen it, ears have not heard it. It's it's not anything that's even human. Because the human race hadn't been created yet. But this is what God's ideal was before Time began. That's why it says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Like this wisdom was destined for our glory before time began. So the motivation that that, that got them to understand and know uh, what, you know, form the plan is that motivation that we can also have. We can see eye to eye with God on this. And to know this love. And look at this, it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to the measure, what measure is it? All the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. So, it, nothing is lacking there. Now, he's not saying that on, in time right now, we're going to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God in terms of everything God has. Because we already said it was only about While we're on the battlefield, the knowledge of this, you can know the fullness of this, even to the extent of what God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit knew before they put into action this plan, to the measure of all the fullness of God, to know it. You can know it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So what God has started in us, he will finish. We can be sure of that. To him be glory in the church and in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What God started in you, will, he will complete. But that's the level of knowledge we can get while we're on this side. There's more. Let's go to Colossians quickly. Colossians chapter 2 and 2. So we already read about the mystery in chapter 1, the end especially. He let it, he, he let it all hang out. Right? This glorious mystery, uh, Christ in you, to hope of glory. It's all there in chapter 1 at the end. But in two, two he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So this is us, Paul saying, this is my goal for, for the church, that we may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So there's that motivation again, right there. And what, what do we need that motivation for? So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So again, what is it now? What can we know? The full riches, which is our inheritance, right? Complete understanding. We can have it today. Well, I should say, you have to grow into it. These are things you grow into. But, but notice the, the height to which you can grow is complete knowledge, right? The full riches of complete understanding. in order that they may know, and what is it they may know? The mystery of God, namely Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures. Notice what these treasures are of that are are given to us here. Wisdom and knowledge. That's what we can know on this side. And this is Paul's, this is not some future thing. Paul says, my goal, in verse 2, is that they may have this. This is not something that you can say, yeah, well, uh, by and by, uh, sweet Jesus, we'll know this by and by. No, this is now. You, you, the opportunity for you to know these things is now. So what is the inheritance? We're still talking about what we don't know. I know that. <clears throat> but what we can know is the fullness of the plan and the fullness of our inheritance. It's coming. Point number three. Here it is. I submit that what the baptism of the Spirit allows is that we are identified with the person of Christ. In that relationship, we share all that He is and has. Now, Christ is the He's the God. We say the God man, right? That's what we say. But we need to correct it a little bit. That he's He's the God slash glorified man not just a God-man. He's the God-glorified man in one person forever. That's what Jesus Christ is. He's the God-man, but that man we must understand. is not like us. He's the God-glorified man. One person forever. So we share this union on both sides, whether it be humanity and or divinity. If we share everything he has, what does he have? We just said he was the God-glorified slash glorified man. So he is the God-man. And we share all things. We sh- literally share his glorified humanity. And we share his divinity. So this is important to note. Now I'm going to just read you the scripture that even says it. You may not have paid attention. It's 2 Peter 2 Peter 1 verse 4 simply says this. Through these, uh, we might say, look at verse 1-3. Let's start at 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate when he says through them he's talking about the fact that those promises will be fulfilled through them means fulfilled promises you may participate or you may be a sharer together in the divine nature literally share us together or participate and that's exactly what happens because we share what Christ has right we it's not like god says okay i'm dubbing you a son and now i'm going to give you everything a son's supposed to have no because of our union with christ which we already said this is what the baptism of the spirit allows for us so that is important that literally says Participate in the divine nature. <laughs> a person might say, well, we share humanity with Christ. Well, okay. We're all, we're human beings as well. Other human beings on the earth will have uh, resurrection bodies and they won't have the sin nature and so forth and so on. But none will have what we have. We, like I said, if anybody is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. That is only for those are in Christ. That's us. So, point number four, I want to say what we need to be here is careful. Be careful here. Uh, What we have is what Christ had. Our Lord was often accused of what? Blasphemy. And he was just a man, right? No, wrong. (laughs) so remember here let's look at a couple of the verses so go to john this is what we have to be careful because listen if we're walking even as he walked if we share everything he has well let's see what he had let's see what happened here so john chapter 8 and toward the end you already know this one i won't dwell on it too much so 858 very truly i tell you Jesus answered before Abraham was born and he says I am and what did the Jews how did they respond to that at this verse 59 they picked up stones to stone him but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds so what happened here the Jews understood Christ to be uh, committing a sin of blasphemy so immediately, it's not like it says they thought about it, they dwelled on it, and then they decided. They went to the Sanhedrin, and so no, they were going to carry out the execution right there. They said they picked up stones to kill him, to stone him. So, and then John ten, John ten is another one. This is a good one because it literally describes it. Here it is thirty three. Uh, actually, we'll start at thirty. Ten thirty, John ten thirty. I and the Father are one. Now, when he says that, the the construction of this is that he is equal to the Father. That's what that says. And the Father's God. He says he and the Father are are one. So, what did? How did they respond to this? Again. The Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Now this is good back and forth because Jesus asks them the question that we want to ask or know. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which of these do you stone me? And look at verse 33. This is what they thought. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. And this is what they considered blasphemy because you a mere man claim to be God. Now that's <laughs> listen. They were ready to kill him. And that's in the Old Testament, too. Blasphemy is is a sin that is capital punishment. You will receive capital punishment. They were responding from what they thought they knew. They didn't they refused to understand who Christ was. But notice Christ was accused of blasphemy and they tried to kill him on many occasions. And then there's other ones uh, you could look at. So Jesus said some things here, but I want to focus our attention on verses 37 through 40. What, What is happening in Christ that would cause them to think that Christ was blasphemous? 37, Christ says, do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. If I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. I in the Father. Again, what did they try to do? They tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So Jesus was able to elude them and get away. But notice what he said that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Equality with God. Now we know equality with God was something that Christ actually had. In Philippians chapter 2, he says he didn't consider equality with God something to be seized and held, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's Philippians chapter 2. Christ had equality with God. There's no doubt about it. So, And how did he describe it? Look at this, that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Well, you know, in John 14, that's what we've been talking about. Jesus, Philip says, show us the Father. He says, "Haven't Philip, don't you know me? Even after I have been such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So I skipped to 14, but really to go to 20 through 23, because the same experience of the Father in Jesus, And Jesus in the Father that same experience of mutual possession is what we have with the Father and Christ through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit so on that day verse 20 you will realize what that I am in the Father you are in me and I'm in you so the same thing that was happening in Jesus will be happening in us what do you think people are going to say when they when we talk about God in the way that we do, they're going to say blasphemy. Just remember, be careful. So I would say, unless you can defend yourself, then you don't need to be talking about it. If you understand it, go ahead. Just like Paul says, make it plain to everybody. However, I would say, make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you know you have your ducks in a row and you understand where you're going. So it's important because the same relationship that they had, we have. And what was it what was the relationship they had? Christ fully possessed the Father. The Father fully possessed Christ. We possess Christ and Christ possess, possesses us. John 17, moving quickly, 20. So John 17:20, that was the disciples. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message. 21, that all of them, all of them, so the church age is not just a few people, we're all one, maybe one. All of them may be one. What, what do you mean, Father? Just as you are in me and I am in you. Okay, so that's the kind of one that we, the, the whole church, is going to be. That is our destiny. Remember, what is God doing? Just remember, he's calling out those many sons in the glory. We're talking about what is the inheritance of a son and what is it like, right? What what has God given us? May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I don't know. It couldn't be any more clear. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity or oneness. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Same thing Jesus has is what we have. Same glory Jesus has, we have. Same destiny, wisdom, uh, knowledge that we may reach the fullness and stature of Christ, that we may reach the fullness of God, we have. So, be careful with this one. Next point, five. We had the same relationship through the baptism the Spirit Jesus had. And, and that was, that those verses nail it for me. I, I don't know what else we could say. Let's move on, point six. There's a lot of passages that talk about the fullness. And there's a key passage. We know Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 23. This one says, which is his body, and he's talking about the church, after that same uh, context of where God told us about uh, the glorious riches of his inheritance. we Which is the fullness of his, uh, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Everything in every way. So we are the fullness of Him. Who's Him? Christ. Who's we? The Church. Right. Those of us who are also likened in an analogy by as body. We are the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. So that fullness, pleroma, is what completes Christ. And when we say completes Christ, what it means is. The Father's plan for Christ was that we, those many sons, be brought into glory. When that is done, then that is the fullness of Him. And what does that fullness do? What does it do? It fills everything in every way. Let's move quickly. Colossians again. Colossians chapter 1. And This one is about Christ. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So we already talked about the I and them and they and us, the mutual possession, right? The father and the son. We already saw where 23 is not just talking about Christ having uh, coming and taking up residence in us, but it's also God, the father, he will come and make his home with us. So all the fullness was in Christ. And God was pleased to have all his fullness. The Father was pleased to have the, his full person. right? The fullness of his person was in Christ. So that's what we have to consider. What is the fullness? What did Christ have? He had the Father indwelling. He explained what he had. And so when we understand this passage, we understand what happened to Christ when he walked this earth. And we just read the verse that talks about we are the fullness of him, of Christ. So if we are the fullness of Christ, and Christ is the fullness of, all the fullness of of, of the deity, of Godhead, lives in him, then there it is. There, There's why, where we have, that's where we enter the picture. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 is our next verses. Uh, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form so the fullness of deity lives in bodily form so each person of the trinity is was in christ the holy spirit was in christ christ was in christ and the father was in christ the fullness of deity now in bodily form christ did not have the deity in his human body from the standpoint of a mixture the persons of God are the ones who have the fullness of deity. The only ones who can have deity are the Father, the sons, the sons. The son, I'm just going to say it. Just the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the only ones who possess deity. That's it. Now, the only reason why we can say that we possess it is because we share what the son has we are one with him we just read it we are his the fullness of him and look at verse 10 and in Christ there it is you have been brought to fullness there it is you have as well he is the head over every power and authority so Christ in Christ all things come together whether in heaven or earth all things are in Christ so there it is you have been brought to fullness so what does that mean that means that you have the same uh, properties as the person of Christ. Whatever he has. And we already said what he has. So th- those are fullness passages. There's probably more. But then let's move on to ma- the marriage analogy, which we covered quickly in Ephesians 5:28 through 32. Um, let's look at that real quick. And the point that I wanted to make. Ephesians 5, 28 through 32 says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Look at the analogy, how perfect this fits. He who loves his, his wife loves himself. Notice, it didn't say, he's talking about his person here. The person who loves his wife loves himself. We share his person. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Look at this. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with, to his wife, and the two, here we go, God's math, the two become one flesh just like Jews and Gentiles right the two become one new man here the two Christ and us become one and what is how does that relationship work for the man to leave his father and mother be united joined to his wife and that's when they become bound one flesh one person This is a, now notice verse 32, this is a profound mystery. What am I really talking about? Is Am I talking about husbands and wives here? No, that wasn't the point. I'm only using husbands and wives so I could talk about Christ and the church. That's the most important thing. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Verse 33, however... Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He has to say that because that wasn't the subject. However, it is important for us to remember. right? That's, but that's not the subject. It's just an analogy. So no marriage seminar here. This is all about Christ and the church. And you know, I used to, when I taught this, I thought, what if, what if you're single? How do you, what do you get from this? Well, you get from this what well, the point actually was. Christ and the church. Let's keep going. Uh, there's another one, the vine and the branches. We won't cover that right now. We, we can move forward. So verse, uh, uh, point number eight, the two atoms, right? Point number eight. This is in 1 Corinthians. This is also one that is definitive for me. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about it like this, okay? Uh, verses which one 47 through 49? Here it is. So, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is the Lord of heaven. Notice the second man is the Lord, it is of heaven. I said the Lord, but the second man is of heaven. So, notice you got the first man, Adam, dust of the earth, the second man. Is of heaven. So the second man, Christ, was of the earth as well. We could say that because Christ was born, uh, you know, uh, like it says in John one, and the the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But the fact that he called him the Word shows that he is of heaven. That's the second man. So he's the God man already, right there. So then it says, verse forty eight, as was the earthly man so are those who are of the earth. Now this is going to be all other humanity except those who are in Christ. All other humanity who are be, who are outside of the bounds of the rapture of the um, Pentecost and the rapture. Okay? So and, and the heaven so it says listen to the analogies he's making. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. Right. They're going to be earthly, they're going to be those, that's the kind of men they are. And as is the heavenly man, so, so also are those who are of heaven. We are heavenly beings. We are not of this world. I could go on about all the things that we don't identify with. This world is not our home, right? All the stuff that we talk about when we say who we are in Christ. We're new creations. We're, we are of heaven. So if you weren't sure what that is, 49 says, and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, and so it is, we were in Adam, right? We we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Wow. That is That heavenly man, God man. That's what that says. Heavenly man, God man. To me, that is definitive. So, another thought. Uh, Point number nine. In our roles as sons, we have... and We went over this last time, so we won't spend a lot of time on it. We have all things to consider. All things. So, we spoke about that. There's a couple of thoughts. John 16. John 16. And... 14 and 15 this is about the holy spirit he will glorify me it is from me that he will receive what he will notice make known to you why is he making it known to us why didn't he make it known to israel abraham moses all the you know the people in the old testament because it doesn't pertain to them it only pertains to us so the holy spirit is especially coming that spirit of truth and he's going to make this information known to us, and then what is this information? fifteen all that belongs to the father is mine, so this is the role we have as sons right we're talking about what is our inheritance so this is why I said the spirit will receive from me, and he will make it known to you so so you know where this information comes from it is key this we all things belong to. A Christ. Right? They've been given to him by the Father. What does that to say? Christ is in the role of the Son. Back to First Corinthians. First Corinthians. We read this I think. First Corinthians 3. So we'll look at verse 21 through 23. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. And here's the phrase, all things are yours. What could that possibly mean? How could you interpret that any other way but to see that you have the same identity as that of the person of Christ? He is the image of God. You are the image of God. All things were created by him and for him. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the people they were arguing about, or of the world, of life, of death, of the present, or of the future, all are yours. All things. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. So what do, what is our inheritance? All things. all things. What does Israel get? The land. <laughs> what do we get? All things. And the role that we have as sons. That, that, to me, says it. Why should we get all things? I could understand if he said, well, Christ has all things and we serve Christ. That would be one thing. No, he doesn't say that. He says, all things are yours. You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Because we're heirs of God. Because of our position in Christ. So, this is, this is, uh, there's a lot more to this. But this is the hope of your calling. It's, when we talk about what is the hope, what is in the future for you, what is expected of you, you will will be over with. You will share, in the role and responsibility of Christ in ruling over all things. What properties do you have? You share everything He has, not only His rulership, His destiny, His but His glorified. Human nature, if we suffer with him, we'll, we'll get to that. And his uh, divinity as well. Now, do you get to, uh, is that a big deal for you? If you're thinking, wow, you know I'm God. Well, <laughs> do you speak? hold on, just wait a minute. So what we, some, some things that we need to look at, right? So we are married to the person of Christ. We could look at it that way. We're married to Christ. And when we think about that marriage, we share everything that person has. The divine nature is shared with us. We already said we are partners, sharers in the divine nature. So we are blessed for sure, but the real blessing in all of this is not the fact that we got the divine nature. The real blessing is that we share the persons of God themselves. That's the real blessing in all of this. The fact that we have the divine persons. The best described in that is Ephesians chapter 2, where we ended up before. And verses oh, 21 and 22. In him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So the holy temple in the Lord, when it talks about Christ as the image of the invisible God, a temple, Christ, what we become is a temple so that when all creation looks at us, they can understand the invisible God in a way. That this God, who is invisible, is pleased with. I mean, this is perfect. The exact representation of his being. We are the image of the invisible God. And we rise to become a holy temple. A temple is for people to come and worship and, and learn of who God is. We perfectly exemplify who God is. And then, verse 22, And in him, and in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So two things. One, we have this role as the temple. It's like it says, you're seated with Christ, and uh, He might show in the coming ages the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in kindness through us in Christ Jesus. That's in the previous verse. That's verse 7, by the way. But we too... Are also being built together to become a dwelling. And now notice this dwelling. What is this about? In which God lives by his spirit. So we live personally with God. In this dwelling. Which is in Christ. That's in him. In Christ. What is God doing with us in Christ? Two things. In these two verses. 21. We rise to become a holy temple of the Lord. Verse 22. We, we, we are being built together to become a dwelling, a home in which God is comfortable to be himself, to live by his spirit. So be careful. It's like if you get married to a person who's rich, and then as soon as you got married, you're like, you're cl- clicking your heels together, you're jumping up, and you're saying, look at all I inherited. Oh my gosh, I'm rich, I'm rich. Let me go start spending the money. Is that it? Or if you marry somebody, it is the real joy and the real love and and commitment is to that person. It isn't nothing to do with their riches. In fact, if they didn't even have riches, you would still it's all about the person. So the divine nature, it's part of who God is. God is not impressed by what he can do as God he does he's always had the ability to do whatever he wanted and even still once we get into this scenario there's authority right even in Christ he's the head we're the body right the authority rests with Christ and so even though we have the ability to have the divine nature it is still under his authority of how we will possibly use it. So, we'll stop at this point, and I'll pause to see if there are any questions. Before we, it's already nine twelve. I think I went longer than I planned, but there's a lot of ground we covered. So, I'm going to pause to see if there are any questions, and we haven't finished. There's much more that we could unfold. When it comes to this, we will get to it. That's fine, but we'll pause.
1: Um, I know it's late, uh, but I want to go back to Romans eight seventeen, and I think uh, Doug, you already mentioned that you're going to go over this. So if that's the case, let's don't we don't have to do it. But my question is, the uh, Bible it says now if we are children sons of God, heirs of God. I'm not, I'm just prefacing all of it. Sure, Uh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, And we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. So my question as sons of God, heirs who have received the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Yeah. As sons, um... How does this fit in, and I'm going to paraphrase, with a believer like Fred Presley being the lowest to Dwight Stop. being the highest? And, oh. I, and I'm talking about rewards.
0: Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay. so, so I'll, I'll. Yeah, now, now, of course, the rewards are based on uh, where we have gained the victory. He that overcomes the world, right? And this is the victory, 1 John 5, 4, uh, overcoming the world. So it's not overcoming heaven or something else, right? But if we suffer with him, he, we will also be glorified with him. So as we look at verse 17, there's a couple things to note. We are, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. So if we stop right there, we are heirs of God. It did not say we are heirs of Christ. We are heirs of God by virtue of the fact that we're in Christ. And then, how do we know that for sure? Look at verse, uh, the next few uh, phrases, the next phrase. And co-heirs with Christ. It didn't say that we're heirs of Christ or co-heirs of Christ. Co-heirs is the same as joint heirs. The fact that Christ is... uh, you know, and a co-heir, meaning he, and, and we know what it is, because he suffered and when he was here on earth, and because of that, God highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, and at the name of Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and you can go on and on. So we know what he's talking about. He's talking about his battlefield victory over the world. So much so that he triumphed over this, over Satan, right, and he spoiled principalities and powers by the cross, and he did all that. He won the victory, to be the ruler of this world. He he took it from Satan. Now, even though Satan still is running things until Christ comes back, after the tribulation, and takes the reign from Satan. So, we will be Christ will be rewarded for that and he he already is glorified right at this point but we can share in that glory if we suffer with him what does suffer with him mean it's like it says in first john 5 4 whatsoever i'll turn to it just so we can read it first john for everyone born of god overcomes the world this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So there, it is, and this is, is related to our believing in Christ, right? So if we're identified with Christ, Christ has already overcome the world, yes, but but also it is about suffering. So the suffering part means that it is our lot to grow in grace and on the battlefield and make decisions, really just decisions of acquiescence, which means we just agree with God. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. All you have to do is allow him to do it. That's it. So in Romans, back to Romans 8. and so So this part here about being a joint heir with Christ. Now just imagine... It puts you on the level of Christ. What Christ gained, you can also gain. You, he, but but you will gain it in the sense that you will share what he has already won. Because whatever victory you win, it's only in his stead. It's only because of what he gained that you can gain the victory. You are not going to defeat Satan. You're not going to conquer everything like he did. But you can you can conquer in his stead and his person. Right? The fact that he conquered, you can conquer in in his victory. You can share in that. So verse 17, but the, the key thing here is the fact that we're joint heirs, not of Christ, with Christ. When Christ is an heir, he's an heir of the Father. And for us to be a joint heir is to say the same thing to The previous phrase said that we are an heir of the Father as well. Join heir with Christ. Puts us on the same level as Christ. Now, of course, we have to perform if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So, verse 18 puts that suffering into perspective. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So, I'll pause. Next week we'll cover this and probably finish this verse. Go right ahead. Completely, yes. That's
1: definitely satisfying, that answer.
0: Thanks. Thanks for the question. Other thoughts? Other questions? Okay.
1: Just a comment that, oh, I, that I appreciated the whole thing. Yeah, just a comment that I appreciated the whole thing. Um, you know, um, among the many verses that you had talked about was uh, one of the ones I really liked was John seventeen twenty three. 23. In mm-hmm. um, the ESV, I am in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Yes. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as it loved them, even as you loved me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, talk about, uh, you know, perfect unity, not even, you know, not imperfect in any way.
0: Yeah. And that love them even as you love me, think about how the Father loved the Son. And when we think about loving the Son, it's not just like, oh, I'm just fawning over the Son, I'm just... Loving the son has to do with the motivation that he had for Christ Mm -hmm. regarding the plan and what his idea was. So, yes, he would love us because we are the fulfillment of him, right, of what he planned. So he should love us just as he loves Christ. But it lets you know that we have the same thing Christ has. We are at the same place he is.
1: Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, when I when I think about everything that we just talked about, it reminds me of uh, you know Paul when he talked about the height and the depth, and when he refers to he was caught up in the third heaven, and when he was uh, speaking of it's it's uh, it was for our advantage that he stayed, but he could go. You know, kind kind of understand how he was ready to go. It was, great to be in the presence of the lord
0: mm-hmm. yeah so yeah there's a couple of scriptures i know in second uh, corinthians 12 where he, he talks about he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things things that no one is permitted to tell interesting so and then he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. You know, Paul was going to focus on his sojourn on the battlefield. He says, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I am speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I say or do. Or because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So we can see this, the weakness is representative of humility and suffering. Paul had
1: both so easy for for one with such magnitude to think more highly than we ought. Yes. God tells us not to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you got some clear direction here. I wanna close it out with this thought in Ephesians, just from what you just said. So when you reach read chapter Ephesians one, and we get this whole thing that he starts talking about. The riches of his glorious inheritance and in the saints, and how we have been raised far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And then it says, Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it. Listen, that's a mountaintop. We have reached a pinnacle here. So, what do you think God does in the very next phrase? He, he, he tries to balance that. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now... See, he he level sets, doesn't he? And then he shows us, look, be careful. Be humble here. Yeah, i just told you some glorious things, but chapter 2, 1, be humble. And then... As you get down to three, right, when you look at three, um, at the end of three, tell me that's not a pinnacle as well. Now to him was able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. This is where he said we could be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He says, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, right? At a mountaintop again. What is he doing for? As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So, Notice, again, he level sets. He talked about us in such grand ways. And then he comes back and he level sets. So let that be a a lesson to how we look at this stuff. We have to make sure we can be completely humble and gentle, just like it says. Striving to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So I know we're going to have to quit. this already closing thoughts. Other, anybody else? I'm going to close. And we, we always have next week. <laughs> Hopefully, if God doesn't, uh, if Christ doesn't come. All right, let's bow our heads. We'll close. Thank you, Father. What a privilege to know the hope of our calling. And we pray as we continue in this regard that we will learn more knowledge and wisdom regarding that which you have called us to. It is glorious. What you have done by calling us, by simply choosing us from eternity past, is a marvelous thing. And nothing can eclipse this. Nothing is more important for us than this. There's no identity that should supersede what we have been called in Christ we profusely thank you for all that you have done for every person who is in Christ regardless of what happens on the battlefield thank you, we thank you we thank you it's in Christ's name
1: that we pray Amen. Amen. Amen Amen